Good evening, everybody. Thank you for coming out tonight. My name is Dan Dykus, and on behalf of St. Gerard Magella and our pastor, Father Grush, I'd like to welcome you to St. Gerard if you're, a, if you're a guest with us. We're so excited to have you here, and we're very excited to have our, our speaker tonight, uh, Father Anthony Wick. Father will be speaking for the next four nights, so Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, so please come back for all four nights. Uh, the topic tonight is a practical guide for the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, which I'm personally very excited about. Uh, if you're like me, maybe you made a New Year's resolution to exercise more, and uh, it's the third week of January, so I've already given it up. So the, I'm done with the physical exercise, so I'm ready for, for spiritual exercise. It's perfect for me. So I'd like to just give you a short introduction to uh, Father Wick. Uh, Father Wick is a Jesuit priest of the central and southern province, is a sixth of nine children, and was raised on a farm in Oregon. Father Anthony began religious life in 1994, spending his first five years of formation in Rome, and then further studies at the Gregorian Jesuit University, also in Rome. He was ordained in 2010 and has taught in Alabama and Texas. In 2017, Father Anthony came to St. Louis and began working at Kenrick Glennon Seminary, teaching the Trinity and prayer courses. Now he offers spiritual direction for 26 men at the seminary and service as a retreat master at the White House Retreat Center. Father Anthony's charism, charisms for retreat work and spiritual direction will benefit us as it reflects on the depths of the spiritual exercises which are meant to bring about our own conversions. Please join me in welcoming Father Anthony tonight and for the next three nights. Thank you. It is such a blessing to be here. I thank you for welcoming me and for sponsoring these nights of reflection, of conversation, and yes, of conversion for ourselves. It's an honor for me to share with you the great riches of St. Ignatius and how this greatest of saints in the church provides a new orientation for our day, leading us directly to the heart of the Father. When I first began studies in Rome and learning about St. Ignatius and reading his writings and praying to him, I realized what a true father he was to me. He had chosen me, if you will, taken me by the hair even, chosen me as his son. And what a gift that has been to be his spiritual son. Over the course of these next few evenings, I'd like to flesh out with you in a practical way why this particular spirituality of Ignatius, well understood, so effectively speaks to the greatest needs in our church today. So, St. Ignatius, pray for us. I've brought along a statue of St. Ignatius, as you see, and even more importantly, a relic of his very self given to me at my priestly ordination back in 2010. I'd like to begin tonight by sharing with you three interlocking dimensions of Ignatian spirituality, according to the great Jesuit historian, Father Hugo Rahner. Hugo Rahner, his brother was perhaps better known, uh, Karl Rahner, but Hugo Rahner, the great, uh, under, uh, the great theologian who delved into the riches of Ignatius's spirituality. We have a, in St. Ignatius what you can call a triptych of descent. 
So in Ignatian spirituality, there's what we call a triptych of descent. So a triptych is a threefold icon. Like you may have a statue, of an icon with the Sacred Heart in the middle, Immaculate Heart of Mary, and perhaps St. Joseph over here, okay? A triptych, a threefold icon. I'd like you to think of a triptych in terms of an icon that moves from God above through Christ to God experienced below. This is a proper understanding of Ignatian spirituality, and I'll flesh this out for you. First, God above, the ever greater one. To understand God, we have to realize and appreciate that God is ever greater. God really is God. Ignatius, hit by a cannonball in 1521, almost exactly 500 years ago. During his convalescence, he begins to discern spirits operating in his heart. And he realizes for the first time that though he thought he was the real man with his muscles, Francis and Dominic, St. Francis, St. Dominic, they were the real men. Huh? They had this ability to give of themselves. That's the measure of a man, his ability to sacrifice himself. He wanted to imitate their way of life, and he began to fall in love more and more with Jesus. So his only desire is to go to the Holy Land, live the rest of his life walking in the footsteps of Jesus. That's all Ignatius wanted to do for the rest of his life is walk in the footsteps of Jesus. He's falling more and more in love with Jesus. On his way to the Holy Land, he stops by this cave in this little town called Manresa. He stops there to spend a couple weeks to do several things. One, to do penances for all his past sins. He was 26 years old, caught up in a life of vainglory, making a name for himself. He wants to do penances for his past sins. He wants to pray more. He knows he needs to pray more. And he wants to take some notes in this book that he brought with him. Uh, and this is going to become the spiritual exercises. And so he also wants to do some menial tasks. He was caught up in his looks and, and how he was um, presented himself, very much caught up in chivalry and, and uh, playing this part of middle nobility that he uh, was born into in the Basque region of northern Spain. And so he decides he's going to work at this hospital and do menial tasks. So he's like cleaning out bedpans, doing this kind of thing, because he knows he needs that <laughs> to humble himself. While there, these couple weeks of these penances, of this humble service, of this extra prayer, it turns into all these mystical graces. These couple weeks become ten and a half months of mystical graces, a veritable cataract of prayer experiences and experiences of the Blessed Mother and of our Lord directly come flooding over him. He doesn't know what's happening to him. Saint Ignatius is a mystic of the first order. Many people don't realize that. And throughout his life, he had all these mystical experiences given him for the sake of you and me. Yes, they were given for him personally, but so that you and I could learn from these riches that were so abundant in his life. While there at Manresa, he experiences what he calls the Cardonaire experience. That's the river that runs by Manresa. You can see it uh, right next to there. Maybe we'll take a pilgrimage there one day. In his autobiography, he refers to himself in the third person. He always says he when he talks about himself because he doesn't want to focus on the I too much. 
and wants to see himself from God's perspective. And so he's, he, re, he shares this with us. He says, he had a great devotion to the Blessed Trinity. Every day he prayed to each of the three persons and to the whole Trinity. One day he went to the church of St. Paul, situated about a mile from Manresa. Near the road is a stream on the bank of which he sat and gazed at the deep waters flowing by. While seated there, the eyes of his soul were opened. He did not have any special vision, but his mind was enlightened on many subjects, spiritual and intellectual. So clear was this knowledge that from that day, everything appeared to him in a new light. Such was the abundance of this light in his mind that all the divine helps received and all the knowledge acquired up to his 62nd year were not equal to it. From that day, he seemed to be quite another man and possessed of a new intellect. This illumination lasted a long time." Unquote. It is as St. Ignatius hears the whole symphony of truth. He sees how all things fit together in God and in creation. And he can always go back to that fundamental mystical experience in his life and see how all things fit together, even in little ways, and carry out the express plan of God. When later, when he was writing the Constitutions, and he had some fine point on poverty, he would say, it needs to be just so. And his, the other Jesuits now at this time who were following him were like, how do you see it so clearly, Father Ignatius? And he said, it's the Cardinaire. <laughs> it's that mystical experience I had. I can't explain it to you, but I hear the symphony. I know what resounds, what harmonizes with it, and what is off. Huh? It's the Cardinaire. Thus we have the first panel of our triptych. So God above, the source and measure of all, the one who holds everything together in perfect unity, God who is self-gift, God who is interrelationship, God who is three persons, who is one in love and nature, God who is the first cause of all beauty, truth, and goodness in the world. All the good that we experience comes from the Trinity. De arriba. This is a phrase that Ignatius loves, from above. We're speaking Spanish here, is this Spanish? From above, all things come from above. And he uses this phrase of reverential awe in his writings, acatamiento reverencial, acatamiento. So this, this reverential awe, this wonder at God really is God. He had that sense of amazement. When he was speaking about God, he would do it very reverentially. He would never use the name of God in vain because he knew whom he was speaking to and of. God. It filled his senses. It would bring him to tears, thinking of who God is, this trinity of self-giving relationship. Our response, he said, should be loving humility. Loving humility. Humildad amorosa. 
loving humility. That's the proper response of the, of the human to this amazing God. Huh? Reverential awe and loving humility. St. Ignatius would later write that, quote, always and at every hour he could find God. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if that were the case for you and me? And every hour we can find God. It's not hard even. He once said, even if the Society of Jesus were disbanded, I would need about 15 minutes with Jesus in the chapel, then I'd be okay. <laughs> he never lost this sense of God. He upped the ante even and stated that I could not go, go on living on earth if I could not feel something which did not proceed from myself. So literally he says, he could not go on living on earth if he could not feel something which did not proceed from himself. He knew that he was made for relationship with something other than himself, with God himself. And God was the source of everything and was that source of security. And so ought to be our experience. The first part of the triptych, God. The ever greater God. The second panel of our triptych in the theology, the proper understanding of St. Ignatius, is Christ, the God-man. St. Ignatius calls him creator and Lord, the second person of the Blessed Trinity we know, the son who took flesh to himself while remaining God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, took human flesh upon himself so as to redeem us from within. So all immediate contact with the Father is mediated by the humanity of Christ. So the second triptych here. St. Ignatius no longer needed to look upwards simply in a state of rapture to understand the mysteries of the Trinity. Jesus, the God-man, contains them all. He has infinite depths. He is the way. He's the fullness of the Godhead. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We can understand the fullness of the mysteries of the Trinity if we ponder, meditate, contemplate the mysteries of Christ in his life here below. Thus, we have not only God above, we have God now here on earth perfectly manifested and the Father perfectly manifested in the Son become incarnate for us. Okay? The second part of our triptych. The third and last panel of our triptych is God manifested incarnationally on earth. The visible ecclesiastical institution with its external earthly form. My brothers and sisters, God speaks to us directly through his church and through the teachings of his church. And this will become the hallmark of the Jesuit order. We obey the church and her teachings because Christ speaks through her. And the same spirit which animated Christ, the Holy Spirit, is the same spirit promised by Christ to his church to guide us. And so when we hear the church teaching, that's Christ teaching through his church. God also manifests himself through the church, that concrete ecclesiastical institution, 
as well as through nature in very concrete ways. And in this third triptych, we read about Ignatius's encounter finding God in nature. One of his first companions, Ribarinera, recounts, quote, at the sight of a little plant, a leaf, or tiny animal, Ignatius could soar free above the heavens and reach through into things which lie beyond the senses. <laughs> so as he would ponder the simplicity or the beauty, the, the, the intricacy of a leaf or a plant or something, it would, it would just raise his mind and his heart to God in his infinite greatness, revealed in the tiniest, most peculiar, most beautiful little animal or leaf or whatever it be, any part of nature. All things Ignatius experienced point to God and the glory of God and ought to be properly loved only in God. Thus, Ignatian spirituality is not so much seeing God in all things as is commonly proposed today, but rather drawing all things back into their proper ordering towards God. Everything is meant to give glory and praise to God. And you and I are critical in that process of drawing everything to the praise and glory of God. And all of nature is groaning for our redemption, that we would order things back to the praise and glory of God. Hugo Rahner believes that the words of the German poet Holderlin describe Ignatius better than any other. And here are the words of Holderlin. Wonderful quote. Perhaps you've heard it before. Quote, to suffer no restriction from anything, however great, and yet to be contained in the tiniest of things, that is divine. I repeat, to suffer no restriction from anything, however great, and yet to be contained in the tiniest of things, that is divine. This maxim composed back in 1640 describes the genius of St. Ignatius, his ability to hold together the great and the small, triptych, the global and the local, in attention of seeming opposites. Ignatius had a worldwide vision and a desire to set the world on fire. And he spends the last 16 years of his life at a desk in Rome, writing the constitutions, writing a lot of letters, reading a lot of letters from his brothers who get to do the missionary work <laughs> across the world. So let's get down to brass tacks. Understanding this triptych of St. Ignatius, getting our first glimpse into that, how do we make sure to build our spiritual lives on a solid foundation? And that's our today's and tonight's talk, building the spiritual life on a solid foundation. How do we use this, this triptych to root our lives? How does it play out in concrete for you and me? I'm giving out a handout now, and it's a blue handout you'll be receiving, and it's called by St. Ignatius, The Principle and Foundation of the Spiritual Exercises. Now, when St. Ignatius 
calls something the principle and foundation. It is indeed that. It is the principle and it is the foundation. Perhaps we can add that um, in the show notes of our video, but I've added some lovely drawings on this page from the most beloved book for St. Ignatius that he always kept under his arm, which is the most read book after the Bible in the world today, which is The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. These are pictures from the edition of the Confraternity of the Precious Blood. If you've never read The Imitation of Christ, do, your, do yourself that favor soon. So on to the principle and foundation of the spiritual exercises. First, what are the spiritual exercises? And he says at the beginning of the spiritual exercises that by the term spiritual exercises, I'm quoting from Ignatius, is meant every method of examine, of meditation, of contemplation, of vocal and mental prayer, and other spiritual activities that will be mentioned later. For just as taking a walk, journeying on foot, and running are bodily exercises, so we call spiritual exercises every way of preparing and disposing the soul to rid itself of all inordinate attachments, and after their removal of seeking and finding the will of God in the disposition of our life for the salvation of our soul." Unquote. So that's the purpose of the spiritual exercises, to help us be free, to let go of the things I'm attached to, five forms of prayer to help me let go of the things I'm attached to, so as to seek and find God's will in my life. The principle and foundation, the deep fundaments or pillars, the deep shafts or pylons that need to be sunk down into the rock who is Christ, upon which a solid edifice can be built. We think of Christ's parables in this regard. This principle and foundation holds true for all men and women, regardless of spirituality or particular sense of God. It's not a Catholics-only proposition. It's for all Christians, for all men and women of every race, nationality, and tongue. First off, Ignatius will uproot the false foundation which underlies most of our self-understanding today namely that we create ourselves. Instead, he says, we are created by God. Huh? We are created for a purpose, to praise, reverence, and serve God our Lord, and by this means to save our soul. We are created. Most of our self-understanding today in our world is that we create ourselves, that I pick myself up by the bootstraps, that I'm a self-made American man or woman. That's nonsense. We're created, created by God. Cardinal Ratzinger, later Pope Benedict, once wrote that creation is perhaps the most denied dogma today. <laughs> and when I read that the first time, I'm like, nah, everybody knows there's creation. How can that be the most denied dogma? But as I read further, I saw that what he was saying is that we're always trying to create ourselves somewhat unwittingly perhaps, encouraging our kids even to create themselves. What do you want to be when you grow up? Not a good question. Not a Christian question. It's not about them creating themselves. Or you can do anything you put your mind to. Not a good question. Or not a good affirmation. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. 
Nowadays, we even think we can create our gender, create what we think marriage is, create our own image of ourselves, as if the world were a blank slate on which I am to impose myself. No, God's vision is much more intimate than that, than this shallow one of self-creation that the world offers us, which really mimics Satan's ruse from the beginning. You shall be as gods. That tricked Adam and Eve, our first parents, and it tricks us to this day still. You shall be as gods. True creation is more real and intimate than that. We're created through relationship, like clay in a loving potter's hands. In fact, we're being continually created. We are created to a purpose. We're created by God, the efficient cause, you could say in philosophical terms, but always to a purpose, a goal, which is our final cause. And so in that first line of the principle and foundation, what is the purpose? It's trifold, to praise, to reverence, and to serve God. That's it. And only by this triple action can you and I hope for salvation. You and I are created. We allow ourselves to be recreated continually for a purpose, to praise, reverence, and serve God. Now, why is this foundation so critical and yet novel in its particulars in the history of spirituality? Well, up until Ignatius, the manuals of spiritual theology, theology from the early church onward emphasize a way of perfection. That is man seeking his own perfection. We see even in St. Augustine around the year 400, this restless heart seeking for its rest in God. But the problem with this spiritual image of Augustine is that the restless heart remains at the center looking for its rest. God must remain at the center, not the heart. God will help bring about the fulfillment of this heart. The heart needs to get lost in God, and then it will find itself. <laughs> it can't remain the center. My heart is restless. It's got to be all about thee. Being in God. So that's a pitfall in our spirituality today. We tend to put ourselves at the center. You and I look, even in, in Catholic spirituality, for our own fulfillment sometimes. And God can become a means to an end if we're not careful. Much of the common reading of even St. Thomas Aquinas lends itself in this direction. But we need a Copernican revolution on this issue. In other words, St. Ignatius reorders things. So Copernicus was the one, right, who said that the, though it looks like the sun is moving across the earth, we see sunrise and sunset. It's actually the earth moving. Huh? So reorder that, that the sun's at the center, not the earth. And so we need that in the spiritual life. And St. Ignatius affects that in the church by making the center the locus, our reason for being in God alone. God creates us for a purpose, which is to praise, reverence, and serve him to lose ourselves in God. And the person who loses herself, himself, and God finds himself. Have you ever heard a phrase like that before? <laughs> Jesus. Mm -hmm. We find ourselves only if we lose ourselves in this center. So that means a human being 
must be ecstatic. In other words, his stand must be outside of himself. I find myself in the praise, reverence, and service of the other, of God, my loving creator. At the seminary here in St. Louis, Kenrick Glennon, we emphasize to the men that you're never going to find your identity outside of relationship. Relationship comes first, then identity, then your mission. But it's relationship first. You have to enter into that relationship, which is a received gift. To be amazed at the love that God has for me. Praise. Let's flesh this out. Praise, reverence, and service. Praise is the initial joyful experience of man. It's reflected all over the Psalms. Psalm 95, for instance. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord, for the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Praise of his power, his goodness, his righteousness, his fidelity, his sanctity is a theme woven through all 150 psalms. Even in lament, in those psalms of lament, there is praise of God that now takes the form of petition to this God who is all-loving and can rescue us. Praise, in this sense, is not some rote performance of a vassal to his ruler, speaking high-minded words of flattery. Rather, it is the expression of the innermost heart of a people who have found themselves in a covenant relationship with their Creator and Lord. I propose to you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, that we have no identity outside of relationship. And God initiates that relationship. Ignatius puts his center of existence and why he is created in God. And he offers all Christians a fundamental insight in how to find oneself by losing oneself in God. How can we best praise God? If you're asking that kind of question, you're on the road to finding yourself. How can you best praise God in your life? Reverence. Reverence is a recognition that God is other, capital O, if you will. We are not God. And that allows the fact that I'm not God is a good thing, allows love to well up between us. The problem in Buddhism, for instance, is that all is one. There's no true distinction of persons, and so there's no place for true love to flare up in Buddhism. The fact that I am not you and you are not me allows the possibility of love to well up between us. Christianity gets this right. God is other. We are not God. We don't even have a divine spark within us, but that's a good thing. God is other. Service. Service, for its part, summarizes the constant earthly orientation of man towards God. All love response to God takes the form of service. We are made for service. Your kids, your grandkids are made for service, not entitlement, of course, or a handout. Why is this so important, and how does Ignatius offer a corrective uh, to our time? We see through the study of history of spirituality that there's been a tendency among the ancients and even medievals to exalt too much the nature of man simply as made in the image of God as a static truth. So we are made in the image of God, true statement. But it's been understood through the ancients and medieval primarily in a static way. Ignatius is going to correct that. 
In scripture, of, in scripture, it's spoken only of a few times of man exercising dominion over creation. So our being made in the image of God, it is said, is static as kind of a done deal, that we're more exalted than other creatures. Unlike other creatures, we have a reason, God has a reason. We have free will, God has a free will. We're made in the image of God. But it's more than that. In the New Testament, if we look carefully, we see unveiled this exalted notion of what it is to be human, of the highest of the creatures of God. For God takes upon himself human flesh, and he simultaneously takes the lowest place in creation. He becomes a foot washer, a servant of other human beings, modeling for us what a proper reverential attitude towards the Father looks like. So the Son of God, become man, shows us what it is to live in the reverential praise and service of God the Father. He is the image of the Father, St. Paul says this, capital I. So, so Jesus is the image of the Father, the perfect reflection of God the Father. You and I are made in God's image. So we are small I images in the image, capital I. So I am constantly recreated, small I, in the capital I, made more and more like Jesus himself. Is very dynamic. We now have our, have our true orientation. I need to be recreated in Christ. No wonder he wants to give me his body and blood. No wonder he wants to draw me into his heart, to give me his strength. No wonder he wants to keep refashioning Father Anthony, if he allows, if Father Anthony allows himself, that the nodules of my heart would be smoothed over, that I would become better clay in his hands, active clay, huh? receiving that, that forming work of God's loving hands to be fashioned more and more like Jesus, to look, act, feel, think like Jesus, to be made and remade in the image of God, namely the Son. We now find our true selves as sons and daughters in the Son. In the second and third paragraph of the Principle and Foundation, we read that all things that God creates for us and he holds in existence are meant to help us to pursue our end, which is the reverential praise and service of God. God creates all things for this purpose, to be drawn into this proper ordering. It's a very dynamic view. All creations exist around us as a means of God's praise, and we should use them insofar as they help us to live out our end and our purpose. So, for instance, we should use technology insofar as it helps us praise, reverence, and serve God. We should use nature. We should use beaches. We should use sunsets, drink and food, companionship, entertainment, our cell phone, insofar as it helps us to praise and serve God reverentially. This means that everything God has created has its purpose and being part of our purpose which is to praise, revere, and serve God. Are you with me? I hope. <laughs> but here's come, here comes a huge caveat. We need to distance ourselves from these created things insofar, tantum quantum is the Latin phrase that Ignatius uses here so carefully. We should limit our, we should not use these things. We need to pull ourselves away from them insofar as they distract us from our purpose. We use all these things insofar as they help me to praise, reverence, and serve God, my goal, my purpose, 
my telos, my final cause. But I need to rid myself of them insofar as they distract me from the praise, reverence, and service of God. When we discover our, ourselves attached to things, I have an unhealthy use of my, my phone or the way that I consume media or the way that I use food or drink or alcohol or gaming or whatever, I must work against that clinging, desperate sense of mine. I tend to cling to things for security. St. Ignatius will say then in the next paragraph that we have to make ourselves indifferent to all created things. Indifferent. This is holy indifference. It's the heart of love. Indifference is the heart of love for St. Ignatius. It's not the secular indifference of I don't care, right? We're not talking about that kind of indifference. I'm indifferent. Which restaurant are we going to? I'm indifferent. Not like that. That's the secular indifference. This is holy indifference. It's the heart of love. It's the ability to receive and choose whatever God has chosen for me. I'm no longer attached to anything. I have this ability to enter into the dance with God, if you will. I'm not stuck on one way of doing things. I'm able to have this active receptivity with God. Holy indifference defines the heart of Mary. She's not attached to anything, not even, not even her own plans, which she discusses with Gabriel, the angel. She's open and disponible. This is a word that's fallen out of use in the English language. We need to bring it back. Disponible. Disponible means moldable, pliable in the hands of the potter to whatever God wishes for her life. She doesn't choose herself what she thinks would best serve God and then ask God to bless her choice. She doesn't agree with Benjamin Franklin, God helps those who help themselves. No, huh? that is not a Christian saying, but it's a very American thought, unfortunately. She is disponible to whatever God shows to her. She lets God take the initiative and doesn't take initiative and ask God to bless it. Well, if it's blessed, I guess I was meant to do it. It wasn't blessed, I guess I wasn't meant to do that. And so often we live our life in this way. We take the initiative and ask God to bless it. She chooses what God has chosen for her. This will include an unusual marriage, a cave birth far away from home, perhaps seven initial years in the foreign country of Egypt, according to Bonaventure and Aquinas. Isn't that amazing? Seven years in Egypt. Having a son at home for 30 years, I don't know what that would be like. Um, and then adoring this crucified son three years later. And adoring the reckless love of the father revealed to the pierced heart of her son. She offers her fiat, her yes, to God's will manifest to her at every moment. She's disponible, pliable, actively receptive to all God's chosen for her. Are we? Are we Marian like this? If we are, we are truly human. If we are not, we're still less than human in that regard. Why is this? We know from good Catholic teaching that Jesus shows humanity to himself, to itself. 
Vatican II tells us, Gaudium et Spes 22, Christ fully reveals man to himself and makes his supreme calling clear. Christ reveals what it is to be human. The more we're like Christ, the more human we are. Isn't that interesting, huh? Mary lives this out perfectly. She models for us what a perfect human being looks like. A full human being, modeled after Christ. You and I are called to be daughters and sons of Mary. That's the only way to make it to heaven. Jesus says some of his very last words, behold your mother. He says that in command form, not invitation. (laughs) Behold your mother. We have a new mother. He commands us this in his dying moments. Be like my mother who is like me, a model of what it is to be human. St. Joseph does that, and he begins to live that too. St. Joseph and Mary are right at the heart of the church, where there's purity, consistency, there's, there's no stain or defilement there, right at the heart of the church. So we ought to more and more work our way into the heart of the church where Joseph and Mary are. In the same paragraph there, St. Ignatius teaches us that there are benchmarks for knowing. In that same paragraph there, that big paragraph, benchmarks for knowing if we are living in that holy indifference that I can really enter into the dance with God, if you will, huh? I'm not stuck on my feet. I'm, I'm, I'm not rigid. I am poised, ready to move in whatever way, huh? Like an athlete without knees, bent, without knees locked, always knees bent, ready to move, huh? What are those benchmarks? If I'm living in love, for the love of God, I will embrace sickness in my life if that's what God has chosen for me. I try to be healthy, I try to eat healthy, I try to exercise, but if God wants Father Anthony to get sick and develop cancer within the next year or two, can I accept that and embrace that? That's a measure of my holy indifference to choose what God has chosen for me. And in suffering, suffering is always an invitation to intimacy. Can I accept the invitation? God will give me the grace to do it. I probably don't have the ability on my own to say yes to that, but it's an invitation to intimacy that he wants for me. And he wants to give me the ability to say yes to it and enter into the dance. Up to me if I will or not. He's not gonna force me into the dance. Forced dances are never good. (laughs) Poverty. If it becomes manifest that God wants me to be detached from all earthly possessions, Willing to give them all up if he would ask? I say yes. I must be holy indifference. Dishonor that we speak about in the litany of humility. Because the God-man suffered dishonor, would you and I be incredibly distressed if we were dishonored? Would Would it ruin you completely? Would it ruin me completely to have someone talking behind my back negatively, cutting me down? called a glutton or a drunkard or out of my mind, as Jesus was. (laughs) The God-man suffered dishonor. Would we not want to experience some of what he experienced? 
Does not a lover want to share what the beloved experiences? We don't even choose, St. Ignatius says, a long life and ask God to bless our lives in terms of its longevity. If God's chosen for us a short life, as he did for his divine son, why would we not rejoice? This holy indifference or openness to whatever God has chosen for us, accepting and embracing in the particulars all that he has lovingly chosen for us and manifest to us over the course of our lifetime. This is the core. It's a test case. It's the grounding for knowing that I'm living in holy indifference and thus I can praise, reverence, and serve God in all things. P-R-S. Huh? That's our goal. That's why God created you tonight, <laughs> to praise him, to revere him, and to serve him. It's that simple and that lovely. We encounter in the last sentence a spiritual keyword of the entire exercises, and the word is more, mas in Espanol, mayor in Latin. Ignatius, because he is a lover, is averse to any static superlative. For a lover, the dynamic comparative conveys much more than any exclusive superlative. Serving God is more dynamic than ever arriving at completion. It's an ever more, a profound listening, a desire to please the beloved's heart more and more. It's the heart of love. God himself is ever more. Deus semper maior, God ever greater, huh? as we say in Latin. So our service of God is listening to this evermore of God and fulfilling that evermore. We choose the more, the greater service, greater, huh? the comparative, the dynamic comparative. Ad maiorem Dei gloriam becomes the motto of St. Ignatius and his followers, to the greater glory of God. A lover is always looking for a greater way to serve the beloved. When you say this is my better, half, if you're married, right? That's a comparative. And I'm always, I'm never satisfied. I always want to do more for my beloved. I want to find new ways to love my beloved, don't I? If I'm in love, I'm not content with this most. I'm always looking for a new way to show love and to live in love, a more dynamic way to live in love. Everything is done to the greater glory and praise of God. In our Wick household growing up, we used to pray at the end of every meal grace as a family, ad maiorum dei gloriam, but we said it in English, all for the honor and glory of God. My dad was heavily formed by St. Ignatius through Jesuits who taught him in St. Louis here. My vocation, I think, was solidified long before I was born. I just needed to choose what God had chosen for me. And as a matter of fact, I found out soon before Dad died two years ago that as he was leaving the Trappist, he was trying to praise reverence and serve God and thought maybe to be a Trappist monk was the way to go. And then God showed him this way uh, towards marriage as, a, as the greater way for him to serve him, praise reverence and serve him. So he made a profound plea to God asking, he was in tears as he was saying this, that if he had to leave, would God choose one of his sons to be a priest? So I guess I didn't have much of a choice, did I? <laughs> but God loves to have his heart moved. God is love, and that's what love does. Love loves to have its heart moved. 
And so the prayers of a grandfather or a mother or a father for their child move God's heart because God is love. St. Ignatius's insight regarding love as a complete focus on serving God to the greater of our abilities protects us from seeking personal fulfillment in our lives with ourselves at the center. Ignatius keeps that keeps our locus or our center in the greater glorification of divine love itself. Always looking for the more, the better service, the greater, never a static most do we arrive at. We're always looking to serve in a greater way. This fundamental principle of the more in Ignatius implies that there is a less also. There's a lesser way to serve God. We all have ways that can serve God that are less than what God wishes for us. As we noted earlier, there are ways of using the created things of this world for their own sake, for our own satisfaction or security, not for the praise, reverence, and service of God, the glorification of God. And thus these things begin to dissipate in our hands and we find them rather unfulfilling over time. The world, in fact, tries all kinds of sugar substitutes for God, fame, status, fancy articles. And those who choose this sparkle of the world find themselves more and more hungry on deep levels and less fulfilled. They're not truly satisfied. And they need you and me to point them towards what is truly fulfilling. And St. Ignatius helps us to do this effectively. Lastly, because a human being can choose the less instead of the more, effectively this means that I develop ways, if I'm not careful, of being poorly engaged in God's church and engaged in things that are lesser than what God wishes for me. But allowing ourselves to fall in love, entering into the spiritual exercises where we begin to learn to choose this all-fulfilling more, I'm a lover. You're a lover. You're made to be a lover. You're created by love, capital L, to love. And I'll only find myself by becoming a lover. Pope Benedict, God rest his soul, says to do this, we must open up ourselves profoundly to love. And hence he emphasizes Eucharistic adoration as a proper preparation for receiving communion, to fill our hearts with divine love. St. John the Apostle, like St. Ignatius, also loves this comparative form huh, of the word more. Ignatius really is very Johannine. We read in St. John's Gospel, quote, Jesus says, you shall see greater things than these. And the testimony Jesus has is greater than that of John. And Jesus says, he who believes in me will do greater works than these. The testimony of Jesus. He points to the greater mystery of his origin. The Father, these, this is total love language, the Father is greater than I. <laughs> he loves to exalt his Father. And the Father loves to exalt his Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is all love language. Greater love has no man than this, says Jesus, than a man lay down his life for his friends. God shows himself to be the prototype, huh? the model of all human love. 
the ever greater glory of God, ad maiorum dei gloriam, is a gaze directed through Christ to the triune Godhead. And it is carried out in a loving and chivalrous service, a service which Ignatius as our model allows his life to be consumed. Let the fire fall. Let the fire enter into you and be drawn into this reverential praise and service of God. Amen. I was asked to give an opportunity for questions. I do want to finish within the hour. So if there are any questions that have come up, something that might be helpful for others to hear, I would be happy to take a question. And I'll repeat the question if you have one. Please tell me there are no questions. <laughs> it was all so clear. Yes, Deacon. Okay, so the question is, what about a workaholic? What about someone who rationalizes, I'm doing all these good things for some greater good. I'm helping out a lot of people. Um, what about that? That person, the motives are no longer pure. We don't have pure motives in that. For St. Ignatius, the pure intention was very important. Simplicity of intention, purity of intention. So long as I'm this super hyper-energetic priest doing all these good things for you all, it redounds to my glory. <laughs> There's something insecure in that. I'm a bad example for you of a priest who doesn't know how to relax, of a priest who doesn't know how to have downtime, a priest who doesn't know how to say no. And if I don't know how to say no, my yes means nothing, frankly. Every time you ask me to do something, I'm going to say, yes, yes, I'm a priest. I will do it. Huh? Or this, this driven side of myself is a less than. It's, it's, um, I'm doing it for some reason. The fact that I might workaholic would be, in your, in your example, an indication that there's, what's driving that? So in other words, what do I get out of that? I wouldn't be an alcohol, uh, alcoholic, maybe that either, um, or workaholic if, it, if I wouldn't get something out of it. So what is my drug of choice? And St. Ignatius, as he began his initial discernment, we'll talk about this in a future evening, uh, realized that different spirits work on him differently. And so he recognized that these spirits, that it sounds really good to work really hard and to do this for the benefit of others and to work two jobs and whatever I need to do, um, but it always leads to a lesser end, pulling me away from the, it, it's not fulfilling in the long run. And I don't ever get the accolades I was hoping for. I, I become more resentful. That's a sign too, that one is off track. If I become resentful, it's a sign that uh, I'm probably overextended. So, good question. What, what looks good on the externals is not good in the long run because unless God's involved, it's not going to have the long-term fruit. I could be a hyper-energetic parent, but not a truly fruitful parent, not a true spiritual father to my kids because I don't give them quality time. I just do stuff for them. I buy stuff for them. I send them places. I pay for their education. But I'm not a true father to them because I don't know how to give them quality time to affirm their dignity and lead them in the reverential praise and service of God. Other questions? Yes. Mm -hmm. All right, let me try to summarize that question in about 16 words. Um, so the, the initially you were asking, 
how much the spiritual exercises parallel the dynamic of the 12 steps and that road to recovery. Uh, there is definitely many similarities. We know Bill Wilson um, was a friend of a, a Jesuit priest who um, worked with Bill to develop these 12 steps based on the first notion that my life is unmanageable. I need God. I need to have a superior power. So, and I need to surrender my life to God. I can't do this on my own. So there's definitely a lot of connections there. Uh, taking inventory for all of my faults, what this has cost me, making amends, um, recognizing these, these things that pulled me away from this, this life of health and happiness. There are similarities and there are differences. Um, the, the, the similarities in terms of love of God, uh, in terms of the need of God, the, um, the differences are, we're called to, St. Ignatius is calling us into not just health, but into losing ourselves. We're not just called to make healthy decisions and have uh, a healthy relationship towards the things around us. We're called to draw everything into love. We're called to be lovers uh, and not just healthy people. A healthy person for Ignatius is someone who's completely in love. And so insofar as that dynamic helps me to break away from worldly loves, absolutely. Uh, we, need, we need proper spirituality also though to train us through the eyes of the triptych and through uh, the church's teaching what it is to have a healthy anthropology, what it is that is truly life-giving. God bless you. Let's, let's conclude with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious, loving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we love you, we adore you, we praise you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your surrendered love towards us. We ask that you would open up our hearts to receive the fullness of that love. Help us to be more Marian, to live within that love, to be drawn into that love, and that everything we do and say and choose in this life may be to your praise, reverence, and service. We ask that through the intercession of St. Ignatius, we would be drawn outside of ourselves into the fullness of who you are and there discover ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for hearing this prayer. Thank you for the peace you're flowing, you're pouring into our hearts. Give us your light, your understanding through the intercession of St. Ignatius. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.